Today I'm going to continue reading from my chapter on Myanmar in the short history of Southeast Asia. It'll cover the period up to when the Japanese entered during the Second World War. And in listening to these words, I wonder whether they give us any sense of why Myanmar is where it is today. I'll start reading now. The East India Company steadily extended its territory in India from early in the 17th century. Bengal, on the east coast of India, adjacent to the Burmese kingdom of Ava, was the British stepping stone into India. Calcutta was the capital from which emanated East India Company influence, territorial expansion and commercial dealings. Myanmar was primarily seen by the East India Company as a buffer zone. It had potential commercial importance, but its greater importance was strategic. No other European power could be allowed to gain influence there, and the Burmese rulers were expected to acknowledge the superiority of the British India and create stable conditions for successful trade. The Burmese king and elite had a very different view of the world and the Burmese place in it. Fresh from the defeat of Ayutthaya in the 1820s, the Burmese kingdom extended its control over Arakan, bordering Bengal. Refugees fled across the border from where they organised resistance to the Burmese. The Burmese king finally demanded the British return them. For their part, the British became increasingly concerned about the political instability on their colonial frontier. The Burmese court greatly underestimated the strength of the East India Company. In 1822, Burmese forces invaded Bengal and threatened to march on Chittagong in a dispute over the return of political refugees from Ava. The result was a British expedition to Myanmar. The Burmese were no easy opponents. The First Anglo-Burmese War lasted two years, from 1824 until 1826. Eventually, superior British weaponry and tactics, backed by a strong rear base in Bengal, ensured a British victory. The Burmese were forced to cede a large amount of territory on the coast of the Bay of Bengal, enabling the East India Company to control the bay from both sides. Over the next two decades, the East India Company exploited the agricultural potential of its new territory, increasing rice production fourfold and developing a strong export trade in rice, timber and shipbuilding. Despite this defeat and loss of territory, the Burmese elite continued to underestimate British power in Bengal, demanding respect as equals and taking whatever opportunities they could to remind the British envoys, traders and visitors of their equal status. In the 1850s, a second Anglo-Burmese war broke out, the immediate cause of which was a conflict between British traders and the Burmese government of Yangon. The result was Bengal acquired more territory in Lower Burma. The final act of the British acquisition of Myanmar occurred in 1885 when Mandalay was captured and the king and his family exiled to Calcutta. Myanmar was formally annexed by Britain on 1st January 1886. The British impact on Myanmar was profound. At the political level, the monarchy was abolished and the Burmese aristocracy was stripped of their power. Myanmar was ruled from Calcutta as a minor part of the British Indian Empire. Indian models of administration were imposed by Englishmen who, by and large, had no understanding of or respect for local social structures. Lower Myanmar, that is the alluvial plains, 
which were ethnically Burmese in the heart of the Burmese empires, was ruled directly by the colonial government, with the powers of traditional regional and local elites destroyed. It was here that the full force of British political and economic policies was felt. In upland Myanmar, in areas populated by ethnic groups such as the Shan and Karen, a policy of indirect rule was introduced. Social structures and local elites were more or less left intact with the administration separate from that of the British heartland. A major consequence of this was the strengthening of the division between the Burmese and ethnic minorities, with the latter developing a stronger sense of identity under British rule. It has been argued that one of the most important consequences of British conquest was that the two most vital institutions in Burmese society, which together define what it meant to be Burmese, were destroyed or seriously weakened. The exile of the king and his family meant that the ritual and symbolism of the court was abruptly ended. The Burmese state no longer had a centre. Indeed, the throne itself was transported to a museum in Calcutta. The king was also the patron and in many senses the head of the Buddhist hierarchy. His demise reduced the authority of the religious hierarchy, leaving Buddhist religious institutions with a much weakened central leadership. As a consequence, Burma became fragmented. These two binding forces were eliminated with no indigenous replacements. British colonial rule introduced a strong bureaucracy supported in its maintenance of social control by an efficient police and army. The British distrusted the Burmese. The police and the army were largely composed of ethnic minorities who would have few qualms about quashing Burmese descent. The bureaucracy was supervised by the British, but staffed largely by Anglo-Burmese and Indians. The new bureaucratic elite created by Britain was dominated by Anglo-Burmese, whose cultural models were influenced more by Britain than by Myanmar. This was to pose considerable problems after independence. British rule increased the ethnic diversity of Myanmar. The administrative link with India meant that Indians were free to migrate. By 1931, about 7% of the population of Myanmar was Indian, predominantly from Bengal and Madras. Yangon was an immigrant city. Two-thirds of its population in 1931 were immigrants, including 53% Indians. Much of the capital for the agriculture expansion in the Myanmar Delta came from Indian moneylenders. Chinese immigrants were recruited from British Malaya and Singapore. In 1931, they comprised about 2% of the total population of Myanmar. They worked in the mines in the Shan states, provided much of the urban labour force, operated small businesses and built rice mills in central Myanmar. On the eve of British conquest, the Myanmar lowlands were populated predominantly by ethnic Burmese. By 1941, this ethnic homogeneity had given way to a multi-ethnic and multi-religious society. The British transformed Myanmar's economy. They encouraged the settlement of the Myanmar Delta, which in the 1850s was largely malarial, infested jungle and swamps. Roads and bridges were built. Land was opened up at cheap prices with significant tax concessions and the infrastructure of ports and communications was greatly improved to enable crops to be exported to world markets. The result 
was a dramatic southward migration of Burmese from the dry northern zone to the fertile delta. The Myanmar Delta became a major producer of rice and little else, commercialised and dependent on the vagaries of international markets. The extent of the transformation can be gauged by the raw economic statistics. In 1855, Lower Myanmar exported 162 tonnes of rice. In 1905-1906, to it exported 2 million tonnes, with the price of rice increasing threefold in that time. The area under rice cultivation expanded from around 800,000 acres to around 6 million acres, and the population grew from 1 million in 1852 to 4 million in 1901. Land was plentiful until the 1920s, when the limits of cultivation were reached. Until then, the Myanmar Delta was generally prosperous for those who tilled the land, as well as for those who financed the development and traded rice and teak on the world markets. From the 1920s, population pressure on the land became a major problem, as did farmers' indebtedness. Tensions between the Burmese and immigrant Chinese and Indians then became more open and at times more violent. Britain transformed the economy, but was content for Myanmar to be a teak, rice and mineral exporter. There was no attempt to industrialise the country. In 1941, Myanmar was still a relatively prosperous agrarian society, though serious indebtedness and population pressure had expressed themselves in peasant protests and violence in the 1930s. What capitalism existed was in foreign hands. European companies control the export trade, the petty traders and small-scale capitalists were Chinese, and the financiers and rural moneylenders were Indians. Myanmar was a pluralistic society in which economic position was coterminous with ethnicity. Economic development under colonial rule was accompanied by the spread of Western education, a new Western-educated urban elite emerged in the 20th century, out of which a nationalist movement was to emerge. As part of the Indian Empire, until its separation into an independent state in 1937, Myanmar's political development closely paralleled that of India. The political reforms introduced in India from the beginning of the 20th century were extended to Myanmar, in 1935, a new constitution was introduced into Myanmar under which limited self-government was permitted. The first elections for a Burmese parliament were held in 1936 and a Westminster-style parliamentary government operated until the Japanese occupation in 1942. The nationalist movement in Myanmar had a number of distinct characteristics. First, it was dominated by ethnic Burmese. Their promotion of Burmese language, literature and cultural symbols as national led to an ambiguous relationship with the ethnic minorities. Ethnic minorities were suspicious of the nationalist movement. They feared Burmese domination of an independent Myanmar and their assimilation into Burmese majority culture. Second, the nationalist movement was strongly anti-Chinese and anti-Indian in reaction to the domination of the Myanmar economy by those groups. Third, the domination of 
the Myanmar economy by foreign capital, stimulated the development of socialist ideology amongst all strands of Burmese nationalism. Fourth, the stress on Buddhism as being at the core of cultural, religious and personal identity further alienated the non-Burmese minorities, especially those who were Christians. On the eve of World War II, there was a strong urban-based Western-educated nationalist elite which had developed no single or widely accepted view of what an independent Myanmar would look like, apart from an emphasis on the unity of Myanmar, the Burmese-ness of Myanmar, and the need to take control of the economy out of the hands of foreigners. Two of the most prominent nationalists in the 1930s were U Aung San and U Nu, the latter of whom was to become the first Prime Minister. Another was U Win, who in 1962 led the coup that placed the military in power where they remain today. Japan became a magnet for many nationalists in the 1930s. They were impressed by its propaganda support of anti-colonial movements in Southeast Asia. When World War II broke out, Aung San was one of a group known as the 30 Comrades, who accepted Japanese-sponsored military training in Hainan. The 30 Comrades returned to Myanmar in 1942, along with the invading Japanese army, as leaders of the Myanmar Independence Army. From the 30 Comrades came many of the political and military leaders of post-independence Myanmar. That concludes the part of the chapter on colonialism, and in my next podcast, I'll deal with the Japanese occupation. Thank you for listening.